Hey, what's up? Welcome to another edition of the DLSS Podcast, episode 47. I'm your host, D-Love, and with me, as always, you know his name, he knows his name, Mr. Nate Demptula. What's up, bro? What's up, guys? I'm glad you finally know my name. <laughs> awesome. Well, off the top, guys, first things first, wherever you're listening, make sure if you're not already, subscribe to the podcast, put that notification bell on, that way you're abreast to all the current content coming out each week, and feedback, that's where you guys leave us your feedback, Apple and iTunes in the review section, um, all feedback is welcome, and we really appreciate it when you do, uh, but as always, this episode is brought to you by the DeCourcy Group, Mr. Dave DeCourcy, thank you so much, their division of Seacrest Mortgage, Seacliff Mortgage, rather, make sure to support the people who support us, if you have any cash out refi or home loan needs at all, I highly recommend them, make sure to check them out at Group. that's T-H-E-D-E-C-O-U-R-C-Y group.com and make sure uh, to tell them we sent you. It really helps us out a lot. Uh, but there's a lot to talk about this episode. I'm, I'm Hopefully you're as excited as I am, guys. Uh, Anthony Smith is defeated by Alexander Rakic in the Fight Night card. That was the main event that got bumped up. Three-round main event. Uh, but let's just start at the top. I mean... I originally, guys, if you listened last week, pick Rackets by decision, and I switched throughout the week. I heard some opinions of people I respect. I heard a couple interviews. I thought I had a line on Anthony Smith potentially trying to take this to the ground somewhat early and and use his jiu-jitsu prowess, which he definitely has a lot of accolades there, but... Uh, the other thing, shout out to Luke Thomas podcast that I did not also, I was blinded. I didn't pay attention. I told this to Nate on Saturday uh, and I'm interested to get your thoughts, but he, uh, in an interview rackets that is, was talking about how he was deadlifting close to 500 pounds, 10 times, no problems. And we've seen these guys that come in and especially in the pandemic era, looking like phenomenal, phenomenal physical shape and really just like, uh, they put in a lot of, uh, you know, strength and conditioning work, but there's question marks around their, their skills with regards to the matchup. So I was kind of blinding myself to that information. And, man, standing next to Anthony Smith at the weigh-ins and then throughout the fight, which we'll discuss, man, he just utilized his size and strength. And, and there's nothing short of the words domination, I guess, is how you can describe the way this played out. But let's. what do you, What was your thoughts on the main event? And uh, let's go from there. Well, I, I didn't. You know, I didn't want it to go the same way he kind of did with uh, Glover Dextera, where where he just got kind of mollywhopped on the ground and, and couldn't get up and uh, was controlled there most of the time as well. Uh, obviously, he didn't take nearly the same amount of beating that Glover Dextera gave him. Um, but, um, you know, Rat- Ratchik just had his legs were jacked, dude. His, his legs were yoked, man. Yeah. I was watching his legs, and he obviously started off with those leg kicks within three or four leg kicks, man. Uh, Smith was already having issues. And it, he tried to throw his own leg kicks, calf kicks, as you guys. There yeah. were calf kicks for days, but it was like three for Anthony, and then Alexander just took over. Yeah, well, the 500-pound deadlifts uh, surely uh, showed. Those tree trunks, bro. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're both relatively big guys, but, I mean, if you look at it, just his quads look massive compared to his calves and just how much weight's behind those legs. Overall, um, we saw a different side of Alexander, which was really didn't want to strike with um, you know Anthony Smith too long. He he closed the distance a lot, took him down, and and really either you know the guy's name is Lionheart, so you expect him to have heart. So if you're saying, well, why isn't he getting up? He was having a hard time getting up. He was really just sitting in a lot of positions, wasn't transitioning a lot. And Twelve minutes of control time out of a 15 minute so fight. So it's one of two things: either um, Smith's head wasn't there, or Ratchik is just way stronger. Than we expected to be, especially you know, with the theory of him, or the, the statistics of him lifting 500 pounds. Uh, 
I mean, that's just leg strength alone, but the guys, these are strong guys, man. And, uh, you know, he just, Anthony had a hard time really transitioning, getting up. He, he spent way too long on the ground. He needed to keep the distance. He needed to strike. He landed one good right hand. Uh, and literally, I think that was his only significant strike. The rest of the fight was like maybe a return kick here and there or a jab. And I mean, that was what I can't even tell you. Probably actually, let's look here. He threw nine strikes. That that shows you nine over forty-four. So those nine strikes were probably the only time he threw strikes was when he was in the like ten-second transition from not getting taken down. Um, and that happened quite a few times. Every round, it started off on the feet, and then within probably the first minute. Uh, Ratchik put him against the fence, took him down, and, you know, there was just no answer. For well, him. Anthony I was Smith talking about no the, the jiu-jitsu. There was a couple spots where he, like, climbed onto his back, and he was in some precarious – he was trying to put Rakic in some interesting situations and trying to pull him down to the ground, but he just wasn't budging, and especially second and third round when you're slippery, as we've talked about before. Uh, Rakic just did the right thing, shrugged him off, and a couple ill-advised in terms of, like, going for it with Anthony Smith on a couple of those because it ended up putting him on his back, and then mm-hmm. he was there the rest of the round, to your point. Yeah, you know, it's just I don't want to say disappointing because I, it's not. I it's unfortunate. That's the best way to put it. Unfortunately, he's looked leaner before too. Yeah, you but know I, I mean? you know, I'd expect a man of his know. caliber. I don't know what's going on with his with his life and what he's going through or whatever. But we've just seen him perform way better. And and the fact that he, he the last two fights it seems to be a, a huge issue where he's stuck on the ground a lot, and he's stuck there for way longer than he needs to be, and there isn't an urgency to get up, and that's what he ends up losing the fight to, is he needs to have that urgency to get up right away, and you'd think with his jiu-jitsu background that he wouldn't have an issue transitioning, uh, getting up and trying different positions to, 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 to transition out of whatever position he's in. To it's get a mindset up. thing, like he's trying to play so the jiu-jitsu game from the bottom but, too much. But if in it's this not fight, working, in you this fight, he wasn't playing much. He, he, he just had full guard the whole time, and, and Ratchik the ref would get to a point where he'd say, hey, work, and then Ratchik would throw four or five punches, and then the ref would let the position stay. Uh, overall, Anthony just didn't have any ur- urgency to get up, and uh, it just led to Ratchik controlling the fight for, for three rounds. Um, yeah. And that's it. He just he just got out wrestled. He got out grappled. And uh, you know, no urge. He did. Ratchik did a great job at completely cutting off uh, Anthony striking, keeping it really close, and just smothering him. It worked for Glover Teixeira, and obviously Ratchik took that out of that that last fight. Watch that last fight. And said, "Well, Smith uh, sits there too long. So if I can just hold him there and, and punch him and stay away from his hard hitting strikes, then I should win this fight, no problem." And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, he utilized this just a handout posting for the better half of like what the. Take that. So three minutes total of all three rounds that there was any striking going on. And he was like utilizing kicking range and his length and just landing those kicks. That's ended up what took him basically was it. I don't know if they consider that a takedown, but in the first round or knockdown, Anthony Smith dropped two, uh, a couple of those leg kicks, one after the other. So mm-hmm. it was like kicking range, kicking range with those big ass tree trunks. And then once he was down, just I mean, he could he could have those questions about why he didn't just stand up and have him Anthony stand yeah, up and finish him that way. Injury. Too. Could have been yeah. an issue. Um, but, or with him standing up with Anthony, but you know, he's a smart fighter. To me, I think he just played it extremely safe. He didn't take a lot of damage, and he's like, "Well, if I can win, just holding him down here and, and and punching him lightly, and just being able to close the distance. Why do I want to get in a war with him?" And and sometimes that's the mindset you need, especially when you're g- gaining up in the ranks. I mean, 
if you have the ability to pretty much shut a fighter down completely without taking any damage, why not take that route? And you know, only I'm, only thing I'll say to, to challenge that, which I completely understand your your point of view, because that's the only equity you have as a fighter and leverage is to win. Like if you don't win, you can't ask for shit, and you're not moving up, you're not making more money. So I get that. I'm not against fighters doing what they have to do sometimes, and maybe it not being as but exciting. But I think right? you're saying that he didn't have to do that. Well, what I'm getting at is that last week on the Dana White Contender Series, there was a fight where a guy had his opponent injured, like one on one leg essentially right and he couldn't get the finish he couldn't put him away and everyone else on the series or on the week's contender series got a contract but that guy who couldn't put his opponent away even though it was a actually a very phenomenal and ufc worthy performance mm -hmm. dana white was just the mentality of oh you couldn't even put a guy away that was on one leg like he i'm talking about in terms of uh, marketability and them liking his mentality i'm talking about yes you got to get a w any way you can and anthony smith is a dangerous striker so i'm not hating on it one bit but the questions were surrounding like him being exciting and saying fuck it i'm gonna stand up and make you stand back up and then just you know eventually tko you by leg kicks yeah. or in any way that way you know what i mean yeah well maybe you know everyone has a game plan until you know that you you face you face that opponent and you feel that aura so yeah who knows he could have felt extremely threatened by anthony smith and, uh, he did land that one good overhand right. You know, and so he didn't like it, and he took him down immediately. But, uh, you know, it, it it you can't really tell unless you're in that fighter's head, you know. And he got, it comes away with the W, so you can't hate on it. Nope. And a dominant performance. A dominant so performance. That's what most people are talking about, to, to your point, is, is the dominance of his performance, yeah. not the fact that he didn't stand him up and finish him. Yeah, so Anthony Ratchet takes it uh, with a dominating performance against uh, – I'm sorry, I'm blanking out. Uh, Anthony Smith here, uh, which is a very similar performance was in the previous fight, which was the Colmean event, which was Robbie Lawler, excuse me, versus Neil Magny. Uh, you'd expect, uh, you know, Robbie to be a little more aggressive in this fight and, uh, and, and a little more active with his combinations. But here, you know, Neil Magny did a great job of just keeping the distance and putting Robbie Lawler's back against the cage, out engaging the clinch. He was out or in, using the length, or he was all the way in the yeah. inside. And he was able to engage the clinch, take him down a few times, and Neil Magny just, you know, pretty much just rode on him the whole time. Neil was definitely more uh, threatening in a lot of positions originally, you know, took his back a few times while standing up, uh, was just slippery and dangerous on the ground, transitioned a lot. So Robbie Lawler, hey, kudos to him, did a great job defending. Um, didn't get submitted, but man, Neil Magny was just all over him, closed the distance really well this fight, kept him against the cage, didn't get engaged in a war with him, and just was able to just get his shots in in the clinch and get his shots in on the ground and, and just have great control the whole fight. Almost every round was a, a, a solid takedown with good control. So Neil Magny with a very similar win like Alexander Ratchik. I would say Neil Magny's performance, obviously Neil was a little more active with his striking and punching and kicking. Obviously, because uh, when you look at the striking here, uh, Neil Magny threw 62 of 88. And Robbie Lawler was still pretty active, you know, 26 of 45. But I feel like Robbie just uh, was really hesitant on um, striking and closing the distance because he was really worried about getting taken down. Uh, but uh, a great performance by Neil Magny. What are your thoughts? Well, I just I was concerned with my pick. Only I saw this being the way that he could ho hopefully get the job done. But I was concerned about the fact that it was the smaller cage at the apex, and Robbie Lawler only needs one. You know, he only needs one to cut you yeah. off when you're trying to circle out. And there were a couple dicey moments where Neil was in a little bit longer of a in the pocket exchanges than I would have hoped for. But to your point, his total strikes 116 of 144 um, to Robbie's 41 of 62. So when you see someone landing almost 70 or over in this case 70% of their t uh, significant strikes it's it's i'm impressed with the amount that like you were saying that because there was some 
more striking exchanges in this fight than there was in the main event. And uh, I was I was pleased with what he was doing in terms of utilizing his distance, utilizing his good jab, and then just doing the kind of exchanging on the feet that wasn't going to put him in any really precarious, dangerous situations with a guy like Robbie It was Robbie pretty Lawler. much uh, movement and exchanging on the feet to where all his strikes were to, 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 to coordinate distance. He, yep. was, he was just creating distance, keeping distance, landing strikes from a distance, not getting in a war with him, moving really well left and right, taking angles, and just not letting Robbie really cut him off. And then towards like the second, third round, Neil just started cutting him off, uh, walking Lawler back, using his movement and his footwork, and then just getting him against the cage. Four of seven takedowns, like you were talking about earlier, almost 60% takedown accuracy. And he, that's more than one around. So he, he mixed it up, and it was a dominant performance. But to your point, Robbie Lawler being the veteran that he is, it, feel, it feels like to me when I see him, he's got a huge chin, like and could be easily be choked because of it. But he has great takedown defense. I'm sorry, sub-defense. Submi- it's weird. Excellent. He almost just does it almost all chin down, and utilize, he uses his hands in other ways. He doesn't even really hand fight all that much, so it always makes me nervous. I saw a guy online that was like pissed off. He's like, come on, Neil. I got that sub prop. Let's get it done. But no, Robbie Lawler wasn't having any. Yeah, wasn't very impressive, finished. and he was threatened a few times. So yep. congratulations to Neil Magny on an excellent performance. <laughs> performance. That takes us to the fight before that, which was a woman's flyweight belt, Gian Kim versus Alexa Grasso. Uh, Alexa Grasso going up a weight class. She said she felt better, had a great camp, and it looked like it. She was just able to outbox her opponent, uh, even got a takedown, I believe, in the third round, um, in the very third round, uh, to kind of s- to signify that win. Uh, Gian Kim is still, for, for this weight class, you can tell she's got some she's got some pump to her punches. Yeah, so she had a, a two takedowns attempts, and uh, You're right, the one in the third the round. The one in the third round yeah. really, uh, you know, really, I believe, solidified uh, this win for her. But put over- a stamp on it, which but, we'll talk about earlier, yeah. uh, later in the Cummings fight, putting a stamp at the end of the yeah, round. Yeah, but overall, Jiang uh, Kim had some good shots, but she was very linear. A lot of one-twos, hard shots back, uh, back and forth on the guard. But Alexa Grasso just mixed it up more, had more kicks in there. Obviously, more volume of strikes. Uh, and she, you could tell that Alexa Grasso was slightly ahead in the boxing range and, and in the striking department, and that takedown just solidified it. So a great performance. Not only did was it somewhat close, I, I'd still give it to Alexa Grasso just with how she was. I, you could tell she was out striking Jiang Kim just a bit. She was mixing up better. Um, but she also had the takedown. So with that takedown solidifying it, just showed that she was a better mixed martial artist in this fight, uh, and I solidified her the win. Yeah, it's going to be interesting seeing her against some even bigger opponents at the 125 division because uh, that takedown, to your point, was, uh, you know, labored. It was hard, and and she had to get her opponent into the third round and tired before she was able to do it. So uh, I'm not sure if she's going to be able to lead on size and strength in this division, but what she was doing otherwise in terms of being quick on her feet and touching and moving, like, yeah, her exchanges, her her combinations are, are normally pretty on point and crisp, so... Congratulations to Grasso on that. That brings us to the opening fight for the main card. Fights got switched around and canceled and all kinds of other shit this week. Again, even Caceres' fight, which we're talking about, got two different late opponent replacements in the last week. But uh, So this was the opener for the main card, as it were. Ricardo Lamas taking on Bill Algeo. And man, did that guy, in his UFC debut, taking on a tough test veteran like Lamas, put on a show for all of us. This was a close-ass fight. Um, I picked Lamas by decision, I think, right? Or no, yeah. I picked Lamas by finish. You picked him by decision. decision. So you ended up, because Algeo was a tough test, man. Why don't you talk about this one? This was fun. Yeah, uh, Algeo was, uh, dude, it was super back and forth, super close competitive fight. Uh, both were pressing the action. I mean, both these guys were throwing great, like, axe kicks, combination, side kicks. They were just mixing it up really well together. Um, 
And really, I think what signified the fight. Al Gio's a dog. He's a dog. Dude, yeah. uh, this was a great debut. And, and to be thrown in with a, a one of the former title contenders of the featherweight division, Ricardo Lamas, is extremely impressive, especially as your debut. So I would love to see this kid in more. And, and he's only growing. He's still fresh. Uh, but again, not a huge uh, difference. You know, total strikes, Al Gio is 145 against Ricardo Lamas is 127. Um but significant strikes, Ricardo Lamas threw 104 of 89. Uh, Ricardo Lamas definitely had some good power shots in there, some good rear hands and some good setups, some good kicks. Um, that third round was the difference, though. Yeah, the third round was the difference. Also, a big difference is, you know, he had five out of 11 takedowns. So Ricardo Lamas also had five takedowns in this fight. Um, so not only, obviously, it's pretty obvious, you know, more significant strikes. Again, super close fight. Very great combinations. Good kickboxing shown here. Good Muay Thai shown. Uh, really fun fight to watch, but also got the five takedowns, which just uh, uh, significant. Sig why am I having a hard time? My mouth is so dry, I can't s say it. Significant? It's. It, it, I don't it, know what you were trying to say. Sorry, I was switching. The fight's over. Well, it guarantees him the win. It guarantees him the win. It guarantees him the win. I'll yes. put it that way. Yes, you know, sir. it just put. He puts a stamp on it. Five takedowns, more significant strikes, and he was slightly ahead. You could see the. I thought he was going to get tired, honestly, in the first round. Uh, Ricardo Lamas. I they thought both he was looked have a little issue. tired, but yeah, I they thought kept going. I thought Ricardo was getting like having to because uh, the pace that Algeo was putting on him and hurting him in the first and yeah. second round. I did not expect Ricardo to have what he needed to do what he did in the third. And I guess uh, he talked about afterwards in his post fight, like his coaches were basically saying, like you know, everyone's got different ways to try to get to their fighters. In his case, he evoked emotion, talked about his family and his kids back home, mm -hmm. you know, waiting for him to bring that W. And he just went out there in the third round. I think I don't know if four out of those five takedowns were all in the third round. I'm no. not sure, but th but he got a 10-8 round uh, that in that third round on look 29 27 on no, all he three got, no I remember he got three takedowns like in a row towards the end remember that so against the cage he took him down he got back got up, up took him to down exactly. again got back up dumped him again so three 10 8 rounds in that third round which was impressive but really after the, the first the fight they went the first and second that. round were really close That's you know it could have gone either yeah. way but the third round yeah. was just a dominating performance by Ricardo Lamas I didn't think he had it in him after the way those first no two rounds but went. The, with that third round really showed uh you know and he even talked about possibly retiring and talked to his family about it and and he talked about, you know, what's going on in Cuba over there with his, with his culture and stuff, which is great. Yep. Good platform to use. Um, but, uh, hey, congratulations, Ricardo Lamas. He put a stamp on that third round. And speaking of putting a stamp, we'll switch over the main uh, main fight for the prelims and go straight to Alesso DiCirio. Took on Zach Cummings, and this was a pretty damn close back and forth fight for the first It was a fun fight to it, watch. We were talking about it right as the fight was ending, kind of like talking about, like, who do you think has this one? It's been hard to score these rounds. It's been relatively even with, De De how do you say it, DeCirico? DeCirico, yeah. More technical and explosive and seemed like he was putting Cummings on, on Queer Street a couple times with a couple really hard shots. That guy's got a chin, bro. He ate uh, He ate them. And then, he's uh, even stated in interviews that he's never been rocked. And he got Not wobbled a couple times in that fight. Yeah, we saw some off balance. But, uh. <laughs> but why don't you talk about how, even though it was a close fight, you know, both first and second round, even the third round up until the end, and kind of tell talk about how the ending sequence went. It was phenomenal. It was awesome. Well, you know, Zach Cummins is the kind of guy who who returns fire. He he he's got he's got great head movement in the middleweight belt, uh, middleweight belt, middleweight class. Um, I was very impressed by Mini Travis Brown. Um, <laughs> he looks like a Mini Travis Brown. Um, he was Brown is fine asset. <laughs> he is. Uh, both these fighters pack a punch. Both these fighters, I would say uh, Zach Cummings is more um, tight in his striking. Um, Di Chirico is more uh, angle stepping and punching uh, and movement. 
Uh, so two different styles, but both mesh very well. Uh, DiCerco definitely has power, but this is a middleweight fight. Both of them pack power. Both of them pack a punch. It was so back and forth. It was DiCerco firing back, Zach Cummins firing back. I mean, I, I know you guys want me to sit here and tell you the exact combinations. I'm not going to remember. That's just the truth. But what I can tell you that I won't forget is that it was such a close fight. It was probably like one and one. So it was now it's down to the third round. And the third round, Zach Cummins is just evading better, not getting hit as much, and landing back. He's moving better. Tichero goes, you know, getting a little frustrated. Uh, Zach Cummins just has found his groove. And in the last three seconds, uh, you know, during mid-combination, Zach Cummins is moving, slipping, slipping. Kind of smiling. He's smiling. And then Tichero goes to throw a, a, a left hook. I'm sorry. No, he goes to throw a, a a right hook. Oh no, he throws. Uh, he throws a. Uh, he's in southpaw stance and he throws like a rear left hook slash overhand. But he drops his right arm, and then all Cummings does is slip back and throw launch, a switch kick to the face and drops him right on the buzzer. Er, drops him. It was saved by the bell essentially. Saved by the bell. That doesn't exist in the UFC. We could talk about yeah. that in terms of the rules. But yeah, he wasn't out cold. But the ref had to wave off he the could end ho- of the fight. Yeah. He could. It was he conf- could have hopped on him if there was more time. Oh yeah. But it definitely signified. It, I think it was one and one that definitely gave him the third round. That put a stamp. That on put a stamp on it. I think about, yeah. it could have gone like split decision. It could have been very touchy. But well, look, this is one of those middleweight bouts that the total fifty-three strikes, to fifty-four, and the significant and total strikes are the exact, exact same. same. So there's no, like, touch, touch, hard shot. Zach Cummings was literally one strike more significant. I guarantee you that was the head kick. I mean, it had to have been, (laughs) right? It had to have been. Yes. And then um, one knockdown. So, obviously, it was like it could have been a draw. It was that close. It's a very fun fight to watch. Two different styles, but both strikers. And uh, Zach Cummings just at the last minute buzzer beater, man. Switch kick to the face. Yeah. That's why when you throw fun. overhands or you throw left hooks, you never drop your other hand, <laughs> right? Especially yeah. if someone's going to counter the switch kick or a high kick. But uh, congrats to him. That takes us, since we skipped the middleweight bout. Another fight that was fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So. Do you want to do it? Impa Kasanganai. I'll let you say the names. <laughs> and and then Maki Patolo. Maki yeah. Patolo is a tough Hawaiian, um, you know, tough guy. Comes in and it's a it's a fairly close fight. So this guy was on that series of the Ultimate Fighter I was talking about, where uh, he got a contract and literally when he was getting offered his contract, Kasanganai that is, um, he was saying, "Well, we already have a fight booked for you on this date or whatever it was." So the 29th, which was against Maki Patola, who's also a Dana White contender contender series alumni. So it was it was really interesting to see. You know, Patola I think had two or three fights maybe in the UFC, and now Kasanganai coming straight off the contender series against Patolo and he ended up. Sorry, I didn't. Win to cut you off. No, you're fine. I just like the the history there with the contender series and how Kasang and I had a what was it 16 day turnaround. He fought less than two or two weeks ago, and Maki Patolo had fought 21 days ago, so three weeks ago. Yeah, these guys are obviously both hustling, trying to get their names out there. Um, obviously, you got Maki Patolo, who's 13 seven, so he's much more experienced uh, than than Impa. I'm just gonna say his first name. Um, yeah, he started training MMA in 2017. Yes, yeah, so he's fairly fresh. Um, so, but Impa, man, w- the way I, I can best describe this fight is, you know, accurate striker versus power striker, but Impa was still accurate. Um, you know, it was both, it was very, it was kind of, uh, I would say Maki was 
kind of ahead at the beginning of the first round, and then Impa kept com- coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up, until he, he just slightly surpassed him in striking. He was just able to outwork him just a little bit more and a little bit more each round. Not much. Obviously, with significant strikes, it's 85 well, they both to, threw, to 71. They both threw one feeler out there, 86 and 72. <laughs> yes. So it's still very close fight, but obviously not much more to say, but Impa just had a little more pressure, a little more power, and obviously landed more significant strikes here. So he did enough in each round to kind of just stay ahead in the judges' eyes, and he and he seals the win. Now he's undefeated 8-0. Yeah, 41 to 42% significant strike landing for both of these guys. So uh, close overall fight, but Patola was more active in that first round, and then by the end was just all that movement, all that evading, all that circling on the outside on your bike and, you know, taking hard shots. He was getting worn down yeah. a little bit more sloppy and slower because yeah. it's now the third round with the crazy pace. Yeah. I- Impa just did a great job. I wanted to ask, though, it seemed like Impa almost took that first round off, which is weird. He had a very good high guard, didn't take very much damage, although he did take a few shots, didn't seem to phase him. But literally, that whole energy bar was was used up in Maki Patola's side. So by the second round, Impa seemed totally fresh, and like you said, just creeped up like the tortoise in the hair, yeah. ended up overtaking him by the third round. Yeah, and... and you know, that that could very well be the case. You know, a lot of fighters do in the first round, which is iffy. It's not, I wouldn't say it's iffy. It's just risky. It's risky because if you don't get the, if the second round is up in the air and, and the yeah. third round isn't there and you still haven't figured out your opponent, yeah. you're behind. Uh, you don't usually want to give away the first round, but it was still close. He he did just enough in that first round to, to make himself sure. still in the fight, make it a close round. Um, uh, yeah, Maki Patola obviously was a little more quick with the boom, boom, one, two, one, kick, one, jab body. Uh, but then towards the second and third round, uh, Empo was just able to utilize putting him against the cage, making a dirty, dirty boxing fight, getting him off the cage, uh, throwing like four or five power shots, boom, 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 and just really starting to wear him down. And I think what happened is... Uh, Maki, a good amount of those hard right hands. Yeah, too. so yeah. Maki Patola obviously was keeping up. It was very close, but it's just the power and the and and Impa did a great job at not only implementing power but staying consistent forward and firing time, and firing yeah. back and, and keeping up with the numbers. You know, that's a super important thing is is trying to keep up with your opponent and at least fire back. And he did a great job at firing back with e- either the same amount of shots that Patola would get off, if not more, and in a more significant fashion. And he did a great job at cutting him off and putting him against the cage more, just looking a little more dominant Making in that ring work. prowess. Yeah. You know, so congrats to, to Ma- uh, sorry, to Impa. You want to say his last name? Kasanganai. Kasanganai. Hey, man, 8-0. and You're still fresh in the sport. You're still learning. You're looking sharp, man. So I'm excited to see you fight again. And then someone who's turned a corner in their career. Shaved his fro, bro. Shaved his fro. He, I know. Crazy, right? Uh, I don't know if that was a good. Th- I thought it might have come out as like a good thing. Like I'm focusing kind of like you know Rose Namunas. I know it's a weird analogy, but she cut her hair. She didn't want to be the pretty girl that people wanted to watch because she was pretty. She wanted to be respected for her skills. I felt like Alex kind of said some things in an interview, somewhat to that effect in terms of his hair. He's like, I don't want people to just watch because they think I'm funny and uh, you know and goofing off. I want. I'm to a serious me. competitor. Yeah, and, and he, so and he's, he's strung to together show. now four fights in a row, which yeah. uh, four wins in a row. So good on him, but. You know, you got to give him credit, just like we'll give his opponent credit for stepping up. But two late opponent switches within the week of the fight, not even knowing if you're going to fight, being able to stay focused and on weight, make the weight. And Austin Springer, after uh, a quick replacement that was only a replacement for, I guess, 48 hours, which was really interesting, um, got switched out. And then Austin Springer stepped up, I think, with two days notice, um, missed weight uh, ultimately as well. And uh, Alex Caceres comes away with the first round submission. Yeah, um... You know, obviously, we picked this fight. We picked a couple of fights last minute. We like the Ricardo Lamas one, and then we picked this yeah. one. Um, 
I kind of went with Austin Springer. Didn't really know much about him other than the fact that he actually beat Alex Caceres' original opponent, which was going to be Giga Chikese. He beat him in the Contender Series. Uh, he beat him by second-round submission. So, you know, I thought maybe Springer has, uh, if, if he's able to deal with striking like that, you know, and, and, and Alex Caceres is an awkward, lanky, spinny, flashy fighter, then, and Giga's a very di- good distance fighter as well and a former kickboxing champion, I thought Austin Springer would have the ability to deal with that, take him down and smother him and utilize that. I uh, didn't see that. It actually ended up going the other way around. It actually ended up being Alex Caceres uh, with the takedown and submission in round one. Um, and, you know, I shouldn't... This kind of shows you... Um, because I originally picked Giga Chikese to That's win. That's what I was going to ask this you. Really so shows it's like you MMA math kind of thing. Yeah. This kind of so yeah. this so I was like, well, if he beat Giga Chikese and on the I ground, thought Giga was going to beat Alex, I did. Then maybe yeah. Austin Springer has a chance. You know, obviously two day notice in a full camp. Yeah, there's other things at play, but MMA math doesn't always work. And this exactly. Is a good and, example. And you know, Oxusera has had a decent career. He's he's been in there for a long time, but he's 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 coming in on two wins now. Uh, I believe this is his third win now. He had Chase Hooper. He had a win before that, I want to say. And then let's, uh, see. let's see, actually. It might have been a loss before Chase Hooper. I thought he strung together four. I, thought, I think so. he's had a few wins. So uh, win against. Yeah. Well, no. So he so. This, this, he lost his last. No. So, no. So that guy won. A decision? Yeah. So. In but Alex, yeah. So let's see. 2018 won. 2018. Martin Bravo, 2019. So uh, one, let's scroll down. Cron Gra- lost to Cron Gracie. Lost to Cron Gracie. Yeah. Got submitted. Cron's a, a savage. So Peterson. So one. Yeah. Two. Hooper. And yeah, so this is the third one. Yeah. So, okay. So it's Got third it. win in a row, so he's looking good. Sorry, guys. We had to verify. Got to be professional. Well, yeah. I said four at the beginning. So you know, but, you know, check. Austin Springer just looked really sluggish on the feet. Obviously, two days notice. What do you expect? You can't hate on him. He stepped up. I feel bad for Austin Springer because he took the two-day notice, got submitted, unfortunately, and he's been waiting 15 years to get in the UFC. He's, he's been on the Contender Series, I believe, numerous amounts of times and attempted. I think I, I don't know if it's three. I'm not for sure, guys. I could look it up right now, but then I'd be wasting your time. All right, and we want to cut to the next fight card, which should be awesome, Overeem. Um, but, you know, it's unfortunate, but, you know, Oxaceris, veteran savvy, was able to get the win, take down, and that shows you, because I thought that his grappling was going to be a problem for Caceres, and it absolutely wasn't. Caceres just made it look easy. Congratulations, man. Yeah, I think sometimes you and I, and all people do this, because we look at stats, we look at numbers, and we almost forget that they're human beings. It's funny, we don't because we always talk about the mental aspect and how much that can affect things. But in terms of sometimes when you're trying to matchmake and and pick or handicap in your head who's going to fight or who's going to beat who, you just kind of look at their skills and their abilities and their potentials and then hope that they both fight to their potentials and it plays out the way you think. And that doesn't always happen. So it's very hard to go off their potential and then you kind of have to meet... You got to think about potential and yeah. kind of think about numbers, and it's yeah. It's and a so, tricky so game. many things go into it, and the, the fact that it was a two-day notice. I'm sure Austin Springer. Hopefully, there was something in his contract that said, "Hey, I took this on two days. You know, like, give me one more win fight or loss, or... I'll get another fight." So hopefully, yeah, we we'll see so. him back at, at full potential and see what he can do in the octagon. Yeah. Uh, but that fight was one of four submissions that started off the entire night. We had, there was four submissions in a row. I don't think that's happened, uh, and if it has, it's very rare. Mallory Martin gets her ass beat by Hannah Cyphers and dropped in the first. First round, but comes back, perseveres, and gets a rear naked choke submission in the second round. Screamed her guts out. It was actually a phenomenal comeback. Watch that fight.
fight. Pollyanna Viana with a slick armbar from guard. Uh, she was actually isolating the left arm in the last minute, switched to the right, and ends up putting out uh, Emily Whitmire in the very first round. And then, unfortunately, our boy Christian Aguilera gets subbed in the second round by Sean Brady. It was a kind of a one-armed mounted guillotine situation. It was actually pretty impressive. Super, but super high-paced fight until then. Absolutely. Very, very big chess match on the feet. Uh, you know, Sean Brady was just a powerhouse and, and, and shot hard, quick takedowns, was able to get a, a tight double leg uh, a few times, I think one or two times, and, you know, it's it unfortunate. It was a high-paced fight, like you said. It was, there was a lot of hard shots landed on both sides up till that point, so um, Christian comes and brings it every single time, so you win or you learn, brother, and we'll but, see you but back Sean in the next But Sean Brady's one. been a huge uh, prospect for a while. Oh, yeah, Henzo, Henzo Gracie lineage black belt, like, you know, he's Yeah, he's no joke, and he's great on the feet. He's got great striking. Yep. He's uh, training partners with Paul Felder, who was trying to be unbiased on the call. But, yeah, he's, yeah. He, you know, he, he's, he's, probably he's his brother. Yeah, yeah he was pumped. pumped for it. So um, that wraps up UFC Smith versus Rakic. And we're going to take a quick break, come back, and then do the predictions challenge recap and jump right into next weekend's card, um, which, as you just said a minute ago, Alistair Overeem taking on Alex Augusto Sakai. So stay put. All right, welcome back. So... Just uh, before we jump into next weekend's action, predictions challenge. We're going to do a quick recap of the points. Finally, after like, I don't know, four or five weeks, I come away with a winning week. Uh, Nate and I both got a goose egg on the main event with uh, Anthony Smith. He went with Lawler. No points there. I got Maggie unanimous decision. Three points for me. Uh, we both went for Lamas. He got three points because he called it right with unanimous decision. Me just one for getting the right fighter in one. Uh, Grasso, we, that was one of our last minute picks. I got unanimous decision. Three points there as well as another last-minute pick, uh, Caceres versus Springer. I caught Caceres by decision, and he ended up coming away with the sub, so just one point for me. Totaling 8-3 to three for the week. Finally, like I said, a winning week. Woo! So I just closed the distance, kind of. You're still ahead by double digits. 30, 137 to my 127. Still leading the dance by 10 points. Nice. Yeah. That's great to Well, you. yeah, we'll do I'm coming. I'm coming for you as best well, as I can. I just picked all underdogs. Now I'm going to use my brain this card, so ooh, you're in trouble, dude. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, quick recap from the bottom up. Hunter Azur taking on Cole Smith. Alexander Romanov versus Marcos Rogerio de Lima. Viviana Arujo versus Montana De La Rosa. Andrew, uh, I'm sorry, Andre Muniz versus Bartosz Fabinski. That's the prelims card. Uh, not a lot of notable names, but as we jump into the main card, Tiago Moises is taking on Jalen Turner, the tarantula. But, oh, yes, this is one of the ones I really look forward to. Ricky Simone stepping back in there against Brian Boom Kelleher. And then Michelle Pajeda, the one infamous for backflips and cartwheels. He's coming out against Zalim Amadiev. And then Sajar Eubank, Sarge, taking on Carol Rosa in the co-main and the main event. Alistair, the demolition man, Overeem, taking on Augusto Sakai. So, uh, pretty pretty entertaining main card. I think it's going to end up uh, being pretty fire. What do you think about this card? Yeah, uh, Sakai is uh, a new force in the heavyweight division, and Alistair Overeem's, you know, on that stunt to uh, get one more. Uh, he needs to just, he's got multiple world championships in, step, in almost in strike force and then in K1, and he, he just hasn't gotten the championship in the UFC, and he wants that gold before he retires, and he's, this is his final uh, go-around, so this will be an exciting fight to see if the young up-and-comer can uh can can beat the old savvy veteran. Um, women's uh, bantamweight co-main event should be fun. It's good, always good to see a woman co-main event in the card. Uh, Michael Piera, uh, Michelle, Michelle, sorry. Make sure to call Mikhail. him Mich Michelle. Michelle, 
uh, I, I'm interested to to see this fight. I don't know who the Imadeev guy is. Uh, eight and two. I'm assuming he's like a Kazakhstanian wrestler or or someone from like Siberia or, or of Russian descent or one of the aughts. You know, so we'll see. He might he might be an excellent wrestler. We'll, we'll obviously in a few minutes before we start calling him, we'll see. But I think honestly, the fight I'm most excited for is to see Ricky Simone versus Brian Boom Kelleher. Um, because Ricky Simone is a super exciting fighter. He's only growing. He's tough. He's gritty. And Brian Kelleher's gotten a few wins now. Um, and he's just uh, he's just an up and comer as well, man. Obviously, he's twenty one and eleven, but he's on fire right now. Uh, but you know, so this is going to be a very fast paced, scrappy, all over fight. It's going to be just an eye catcher. It's going to be fun to watch. And then you got Tiago Moses versus Jalen Turner. Uh, Jalen Turner is definitely a powerhouse. Uh, but you always know. With us, we we are the guys that like watching. Uh, you know, we have a lot of friends who who only come for the main card. Like, hey, dude, I'm coming to watch the fights, and yeah. we and we're like, all right, they start at three thirty four, and they show like, up with oh, the main and co-main. They show up for the main yeah. and co-main. No, yeah. I want to see all the fights, including the prelims, because these are the exciting. Everyone that's fighting in these main cards now came up from the prelim fights. Like, so a lot of these. Big names that you guys see started off somewhere, right? So the prelim fights are, are some of the most exciting fights to watch and the ones to look out for. They're usually the most exciting fights of the night. Yep, we um, got some lesser-named, no- lesser-known people in the prelims. So, and, but as we said before, sometimes that ends up turning out with the more exciting matchups. Yeah, yeah, so I suggest that you guys, if you truly love the MMA you know, world, and you really want to watch fights, watch these prelims and, and watch these performances. Sometimes they're better than the main card. But now, th- after all those compliments, we're going to shit on them and say, but we're not going to pick any of them. <laughs> but we're not going to pick it. So we're just, just going to do the main just card. Just because there's a main card, there's five fights right now, and hey, eventually those guys will earn their right to be picked. There you go. <laughs> they they got to earn their stripes, man. Uh, so we'll start off at the lightweight bout of the night, the curtain jerker, uh, Tiago Moises versus Jalen Turner. All right, so... Jalen Turner is kind of on a streak for uh, the last four fights. Win, loss, win, loss. Uh, loss against Luque. Obviously, Vicente Luque is a, a beast. Win versus Potter. Loss versus Frivolo. Win versus Calibayo. Halaba. Is that it? Kurt Halaba, yeah. <laughs> oh, no, up here? I'm we, sorry. I thought you were talking about this what? guy. <laughs> what are you talking about? Calibayo. <laughs> yes. Calibayo. Nailed it. Anyways, I tried. Um, so... The two wins he does have are, are knockouts, uh, one in the second round, one in the first, and the other two losses are by decision. Obviously, he got KO'd by Luque. He got into a little fist fight there and did not win that one. Most people don't with Vincente Luque. Um, but then you have uh, Tiago Moises over here, and um, you know he beat Michael Johnson. Uh, he was getting beat up, but was sub- just submitted him very quickly. So this guy can get you from all angles. Uh, got a slightly better record, thirteen and four. Jalen Turner's nine and five. Um, you know, Jalen Turner obviously has a much higher output with strikes landed per minute. Uh, he, I'd feel like he's probably a little more uh, on the. He's probably a little more stronger on the power side. But um, I'm gonna say that Tiago Moises. Uh, I'm gonna say. I don't know who the underdog is here. But I'm gonna go with Tiago Moises. Let's just look. This might help my my decision. Okay, so Jalen Turner's the underdog. As of now, when okay. we do our picks, it's always on the day after last weekend's fights. By the time the fight goes off, this could be flipped. But in terms of our you points, know, yeah, we just I'm gonna do go Tiago Moises. I'm gonna say second round submission. Yeah, that's my biggest concern in this fight is Jalen Turner getting, getting subbed and some sort of like um, joint submission. Not, I mean, maybe a, maybe a 
choke or something like that. But he's very long and lanky. Look at that. He's got a 7-inch reach advantage. He's 6'3 for this division. He's very long and lanky. That's what his nickname is, the Tarantula. Um, and I think, like, we always kind of go with the win-loss, win-loss streak and then try to go, well, all right, well, he lost his last one and he normally goes back and forth. Well, both these guys are coming off wins, so if we go by that logic, they're both due for a loss. <laughs> so I don't know <laughs> we don't, yeah, I don't know where to go can't, here. Can't pick that. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go against you just to make it interesting. I like uh, – I'm kind of a homer for uh, Coach Anthony, holds mitts for Jalen over at Ruka and a couple other places. Uh, so I, I like Jalen's creative striking, and I just feel like he, he's – I mean, I hate to have this come off like an insult when I say like a mental case. Same thing for Uriah Hall, who I, I think is a phenomenal fighter. Uh, so what I mean by that is that it's kind of like a backhanded compliment where I'm saying you never actually see them perform anywhere close to their potential. And if they did, they would just burn through anybody in the top, uh, up through even the top five and possibly become the champion. So I'm trying to tell you that I, I think Jalen is a lot better than the performances we've seen. And even his last performance was pretty damn dominant. He took the guy to the ground and then uh, TKO'd him with strikes, like kind of ground and pound strikes. So um, I'm hopeful that if it does end up with him on the ground, he's on top because again, Tiago Moises, could grab one of those long, lanky limbs and potentially get some sort of submission, pull it out. But I'm going to go Jalen Turner, and I'm going to go by decision right as of now. I've, I could always change it, but I'm going to okay. go Jalen Turner by decision. All Unanimous right. decision. It's going to be unanimous. You've lost points on just saying regular decision, so I wanted to make sure. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, dang. I should, I should be paying attention. So Ricky Simone taking oh, on Brian Boom Kelleher. Man. My, you know, low-key vote for fight of the night for sure. You know, I'm already going to, if I want to look at numbers and, man, just the people that Simone's fought, bro, uh, Ray Borg uh, has a win over Borg. Uh, he had a loss over favor, but during that fight, he was putting it on favor. He just got caught in, in mid-combination with a good right hand and a couple other things. Uh, but, man, Ricky Simone gets better every time I see him. But the thing Brian Boom Keller has, he's – he he's just I I feel like he's a, a big guy for this weight class. He's like he's gonna definitely be bigger than someone. Can we go up? Sure. I'm just trying to see the height. No, they're the same. Okay, so 140. Well, Brian Keller is usually 145, uh, so he's still gonna be bigger than um, Ricky Simone. And this is at 135, yeah. Uh, 45 actually. It's at 145. Yeah. So Simone ooh, going, going up. Going I up. mean, people are flo- floating around. A different he's been weight floating classes. around a couple. Yeah. Uh, he'll probably be a little heavier, be strong. I think last time he fought up weight class, and he felt he said he felt really good. I do, don't quote me. I on think that. you're right there, though. But I, I think I think I do remember him saying something like that about Ricky. But man, Ricky Simone is just so active, and I feel like he's definitely going to be the faster fighter here. I feel like he's going to be the faster fighter here. I feel like he's going to mix in a lot of grappling and, and smothering Brian Boom Kelleher. Um, but Brian Boom Kelleher has uh, knockout power in his hands. He I, he has the potential to finish the fight. But I think Ricky Simone um, is just going to be faster is going to be mixing up a lot of grappling and clinching and 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 just be too hard for to catch for brian i think brian's gonna it's gonna take a while i think brian will get probably get it get his flow going but it probably won't be late to like the third round so he'll, he'll get a feel on ricky simone i think ricky simone's gonna just give him a lot to deal with um i think and, and again i think ricky's getting much much better every time i see him i get really excited to watch him fight 
So I'm gonna say Ricky Simone dis- unanimous unanimous decision. There we go. He doesn't have a mullet anymore, which was part of the Ooh, excitement to see him bouncing around know. like a madman. Uh, but yeah, he's I f- believe he's fought at flyweight before, and then he fought at, th- at 35s, and now this is at 45. So, um, and he's always had a motor, even at the lower weight Dude, classes. So extreme motor. Not depleting himself may pay dividends. He may be able to just keep that pace the whole time. I think Kelleher is very dynamic in his striking. He has a lot of it, sh- it shows him as a switch stance fighter, and I think that that. Like to your point, kind of like Lando Venata and uh, these guys, if they catch you with something tricky that you don't see coming, they could easily put you out. Um, testament to some of Kelleher's knockouts, but I'm worried for him in this smaller cage era. And this, I don't know, man. Ricky Simone, to your point, has been very active as of late. I feel like he's got the speed advantage. I don't think he's he's um, anywhere near Brian on the feet, but I don't feel like it's going to be contested there that much. I'm going to have to go with you and go Ricky Simone unanimous decision as well. I hate to do it. Love my boy Boom. He's actually a rapper, by the way. Check him out on Instagram. He's not that bad. Um, but <laughs> I, I'm going to. I had no idea. No, he's actually. I feel like his rhymes are actually better than Ty- Tyron Woodley's in my personal. Okay, opinion. then you need to post that as the outro song. Oh gosh! <laughs> uh, don't, uh, the the last it. one I saw was just on his live. I think he was literally freestyling, which wasn't bad. So right. Brian Kelleher, I'm sorry, I'm going against you. Ricky Simone, unanimous decision. All right, that takes us to our next fight. Uh, M- Michelle. If I had the Michelle Pierre. What is it? Um, Michelle Pierre. Is it dodgeball? Pierre. Is it dodgeball or is it? Um, don't what? correct my name. Blue my name is Michelle Pierre. Blue Steel. What movie is that? Blue Steel? What movie is that from? Zoolander? Thank you. So I don't know if it was Zoolander or Dodgeball, but if I had the drop for fucking homeboy saying, Michelle, it's Michelle. I would play that every time you call this guy Michael (laughs) or Mikhail. It's definitely not not Dodgeball. I'm pretty sure that's definitely probably Zoolander. Well, Ben Stiller, you're the man. Yes, you are the man. You are a man as well, I believe. All right, so (laughs) getting into this fight, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, originally for Zalem, I thought he would probably be like a, a heavy grappler and maybe able to get just close off the gap here with with Michel and uh, <laughs> take him down and take away his crazy jumps and his backflips and his capoeira and all his mixed martial arts stuff. Um, but that's not the case. Uh, he's coming in off of two losses. Uh, and one of his fights, I believe, is against uh, uh, Griffin, Max Griffin. He was taken down six times. Yeah. Um, and three passes on him. He got dominated on the ground. Uh, and then he has a loss to Wab- Roberts. Uh, obviously, there's similar similarities there. Michel has a win against Roberts, but then he has a loss against Col- Col- Connolly, and then a loss against Sanchez, which was a DQ. He needed him on the ground in the face. Um, <laughs> and Diego took that because he was getting his butt beat towards the end there. Yeah. Um, but they're both looking kind of tired at the s- still. But um, I'm just going to go with Michel. Uh, just because I I have a feeling after how the last two fights have been and how the hype train has been behind him and he's known for being crazy and jumpy, I feel like now he's kind of getting to a point like, you know what, I just need to win. I can't, I, I don't care anymore. I lost twice. If, if he's in a position where if he doesn't win, I don't think we're going to care too much more about him. 
And that's just the truth. Because like, we still think about, about him as that crazy, awkward guy. But if he loses again, he, his stock goes out the window. Then he's just the crazy, he, awkward guy. He's just the crazy, awkward guy who yeah. just sucks, right? That's yeah. what most people are going to think. And he doesn't suck. He's explosive. He's athletic. He's a big dude. Uh, he's just he, – he blows all his energy in this ridiculous movement. If he just were able to hone it, keep it simple, use an IQ, conserve his strikes, and set up his shots instead of throwing wild stuff, he, I think he'd be a sniper. So I'm going on the on the hopes that he's going to be like that. He's going to be more reserved. He's going to just use his range, use his jab, use his hard leg kicks, uh, mix in his flying techniques, maybe like one a fight instead of ten in the first round. Yeah, I mean, in spots. You have the guy you know, hurt up back to against, against the cage. The cage okay. You know, set up a jab, jab, hook, or a jab, feint, flying knee, uh, get the guy to kind of crouch down, and uh, who knows. Um, so I'm going to say Piero wins second round. You know what? Let's just go wild. Let's say first round. No, second round. I think he's going to be reserved. Second round TKO, uh, Michel Pierre. Yeah, no, I think you're right that he's backed up against a cage or against a wall, I guess. Yeah. And uh, in terms of his career, and he, he came in with a lot of hype. I mean, there's no other words to, to use. Came in with a lot of eyeballs on him and had a cool, a good performance against Roberts in his debut, but then... Uh, <laughs> Gave away the performance against Connolly and then uh, also gave away with the DQ loss against uh, Sanchez. So I think if, to your point, when this guy's focused and he's, he's not dicking around and, and, you know, accessing his potential, for lack of a better uh, expression in there, he is a sniper. He's super fast. He he pushes off the cage with that right hand and is very, very quick and explosive. And, and it, uh, his shots hurt when they land clean. So he's at, he's got all the potential. It's just a matter of him. Uh, it's a mental case in a different way. A matter of him focusing and like you said kind of honing all that excessive energy yeah. and utilizing it uh when he needs to instead of going overboard you know yeah and we don't know much about Zalim either as you said before but just looking at his stats and looking at the not way a horrible record eight and two I mean that's yeah. not a bad record it's just based on his last two losses you know I don't I can't really tell you what his uh his specialty is yeah Maybe, you know because uh, you know I I, I know this sounds kind of bad because you know Nurmagomedov, <laughs> Latifi. I'm I'm thinking of all these, um, like Siberian, not Siberian, but like Russian or like, like Middle Eastern, Eastern descent, Eastern European. You know, yeah. uh, a the lot of them are grappler heavy. So when I see a name yeah. like that, I assume they're grappler heavy or just more of a grappler and 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 more of like a and less of a a striker. Obviously, you have Zabit, who's completely different. He's he's very well mixed. He's more of a flashy, great striker. Shabazian also, he, but but we don't know them well enough to know if they've been like. If they live over here, if they live over there, yes, you so know, the name makes it. So I have think. to. So I have to go based off the numbers, and based off the numbers, uh, you know, he got taken down by Max Griffin, you know, a, a good amount of times, and it was more of a dominating performance by Max Griffin on the ground. So it makes me wonder if, if his grappling is probably not his suit, and and really that's the only w- way I see, you know, him, someone like, uh, like you know, Pierre is going to have a difficulty. Is is you have to cut off his range. Um, or let him blow his gas tank out, but or tire him out. But, but, but what happens yeah. usually with Connolly? I believe Connolly, once he got gassed out, Connolly just started putting hands on him, mixing up the grappling and and the clinch exchanges, and and was able to mix it up. Um, what it makes so based on the numbers, what I think is with Zalim is he's probably just like a basic striker slash grappler, but nothing not too special in any area. And I think, um, I think Michelle Pierre is just going to. I think he has more potential so based on what I've seen. I think Michelle Piera, if he puts things together, I think is a very big threat to Zalim. Yeah, either Michelle Pajera is going to win this fight or Michelle Pajera is going to lose this fight. And he's going to lose because of his, like he's his own lose efforts. It, you know what he's I mean? Gonna, yeah, like no one's beating 
him Michelle Piero himself. But himself. <laughs> Even other people that are punching him. <laughs> for know? real. His fight IQ is what's got him in trouble so far. And, and I think you're right. I think this isn't the time for that. I think it, let's just get a W. Yeah. And we're going to see a very sharp Michelle That's Pierre. how you need to be. You need to be yeah. smart. You don't need, you, you know, your gas tank is your biggest thing in these fights, you know. Yep. So that takes us to our next fight. The co-main event. Uh, you want to say it? Sahara Eubanks? Yeah, that was good. Sajara. But Sajara. Yeah. I don't one know of those if the J was not, silent. Yeah, it's, it's not, not silent. It's not fancy on this Stop one. playing with my mind! It's exactly phonetically as you see it. Okay. Sajara. Sajara Eubanks versus yeah. Carol Rosa. Um, Sajara Eubanks has a record of 6-4. and four. Uh, Fairly small record. When I mean small, obviously it's 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 10 fights. But when it win-loss ratio, it's almost 50%. So some may see it as a... Good record, bad record, but it's still not a lot of fights. Like she could win six fights in a row and 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 have a twelve and four record, which is phenomenal. Um, so you never know uh, how she's going to do. But if we scroll down here, Ciara uh, Eubanks, Sajara Eubanks has faced. She's got way more experience in the UFC uh, with a win over Murphy, win over Matafari, lost Aspen Ladd, who, who's a little savage, a loss to Correa, and a win versus uh, against Marias. Um, most all all of her fights, she she gets a few takedowns. So she's I would say she she's definitely not the striker in this fight. Uh, Rosa, um, if you obviously Rosa's got a two fight win streak, win versus uh, Procopio and a win versus Mello. But if you scroll up, I mean strikes landed per minute. This girl is throwing nine point seven zero strikes per minute. Uh, this Carol Rosa girl has a huge output in striking, so I think it would be a little overwhelming for Sajara Eubanks, which I'm assuming will make or force Sajara Eubanks to really clinch up and, and try to take her down. Uh, but I know uh, Carol Rosa also can and can implement some grappling. I don't know how her jiu-jitsu is, um, but um, I'm going to have to go with my, my, my instincts here, and I'm going to have to say that uh, Rosa is just going to be a problem on the feet and it's going to be able to do more than enough based on what I've seen and, and read and, and studied. She'll be do she'll be able to do more than enough to prevent the takedowns and if not get up quick enough, if not get a takedown herself. I feel like uh, the only thing is Sajara Eubanks has uh, more experience when it comes to the UFC, but Carol Rosa overall has a better record and more experience overall as a professional fighter. Uh, and with the numbers here and with the two-win streak and... Uh, with how many strikes she throws a minute, this girl's just, I think, going to be a little bit too much for Sajara Eubanks to keep up with. I think that Carol Rosa is the better fighter statistically, and I'm going to choose uh, Carol Rosa unanimous decision. Yeah, I'm struggling with this one because that veteran nature of Sajara compared to Carol Rosa is making me, originally, my initial lean was to Sajara, but to your point, looking at the stats, I mean, she only has two fights in the UFC, so the stats in front of us are kind of high for that, taking that with a grain of salt, but overall, to your point, also 13-3, and three, if Sajara got another six wins in a row, she'd pretty much have the same kind of record that Carol Rosa has overall, so it's making me a little hesitant. Uh, I do reserve the right to switch, but I'm going to go with Sarge. I'm going to go against you. I'm going to go Sajara Eubanks. Gets those takedowns, makes it kind of a I mean, for lack of a better word, a boring ground battle where there's not a whole lot of action that doesn't necessarily put her away with ground and pound, but is able to hold on for dear life and uh, secure three takedowns, one around, and, and carve out a decision. So Sajara Eubanks, unanimous decision. All right. That takes us to our final fight of the night, the main event, Alistair Overeem, multiple uh, organization champion, you know, K1, Glory, Strike Force. Now he needs that UFC belt. Um, Augusto Sakai, though, is the new up-and-comer, uh, 15-1, man, just making a tear through the heavyweight division, so let's get into it. 
Uh, this is going to be interesting. I thought that uh, Overeem would be the underdog, but he's actually not. He is the favorite for the fight. Um, Sakai is the underdog, and we talked about this, and we think it's probably because of his UFC experience. But Augusto Sakai is only 15-1. Uh, it's not a four-fight win streak. The only difference between these two guys is um, Alistair Overeem's got uh, an amazing track record. Has faced the best of the best. Has beaten the best of the best. Uh, has had a couple of heavyweight title shots, I believe two or maybe a few, but I know he's had one for sure, uh, and uh, had a great performance against Stipe, almost beat Stipe. We know Av- Alistair Overeem's capabilities. Um, Augusto Sakai is finishing either, the last four or five fights have been split decision or knockout. Yeah. Um, Alistair Overeem can, has, just can get you from so many areas, so what I wanted to do is I wanted to look at Augusto Sakai and say, okay, is he taking anyone down? Is his grappling uh, a, a good prowess? Of his, is that a big part of his game? I don't know what it's like. Um, and we don't see much of that. Most of his fights are standing uh, or finished standing or split decision. Uh, and I didn't see much takedowns. I think I only saw one uh, out of the last four fights. I think Overeem, his IQ is just super high. And he always changes. The, he can follow a game plan to the T. Um like the only thing I was worried about is his reaction time. Uh, you know, he's a little more wide stance these days. He's not as active with his, his striking. Um, he he mixes it up from for, from orthodox to southpaw and switches a lot. Uh, paws, jabs, and sets up hard overhands or or tries to set up a hard kick here and there. But he's not nearly the volume fighter he used to be. You know, when he was younger, he's more of a wide stance, like bait you in, try to get one shot. Or, or take you down. And every now and then you'll see like a, a cool old school Alistair Overeem kickboxing combination, which I wish he did more of. But, you know, I, I feel like he's so cautious of making sure he's an MMA fighter, not just a kickboxer, that the MMA fighter takes over with that wide stance, a little more reserved in the striking area. And he tries to make sure he doesn't get taken down. I personally think that Overeem, um, I, I'm going to pick Overeem. Uh, I was hoping he was the underdog because then he, this is a gr- great guy to pick. Um, I would assume he would be the underdog because of his his current, you know, loss, win, loss, win. But, I mean, he lost to Blades, which is a, a good guy to lose to, let's put it that way. And then Rosenstruck, who's obviously a top contender. And then last second, busted his you know, face and, up. But Overeem was, was tuning him up. Uh, yeah. Went over Harris, went over Olenek, uh, went over uh, Pavolovich. Um, so, you got Sakai coming in off a five-fight win streak, but with the experience that you have with Overeem... I think this is the make it or break it fight for Overeem, obviously, if he's going to continue to move up in the heavyweight division and possibly get a title shot. I think Sakai is going to be dangerous because he's going to be, he's younger. I think he's going to be a little faster, faster than, and he's going to be able, I think he'll be a little, uh, be able to apply more pressure if need be or have more cardio eventually if, if he plays his cards right or just have better timing and better fast twitch and might be a little hard for Overeem to, to, to catch up on with a little bit. Uh, especially if uh, Augusto Sakai starts to put hands on him a little earlier and, and is comfortable in there. The thing is, Overeem's got such a legendary presence and he's such a danger. A lot of people don't just feel comfortable in there. So I don't think Sakai is going to be just getting in there jabbing, throwing low leg kicks and just feeling loosey-goosey. I feel like he's going to be very reserved, very patient, and it's going to take a while for him to feel comfortable. That being said, I think Overeem is going to grapple. I think Overeem's going to try to strike implement his striking, land some decent shots if he can. But I think overall, um, Sakai's going to try to throw some hard bombs on him. Uh, Overeem's going to put his 
you know, head down and, and get a high guard and, and form, I hope, a high guard. But I feel like Overeem's going to engage in the clinch a lot, try to take him down and smother him close to distance. And he's either going to be very far out or he's going to be grappling. And I think I'm just picturing in my head that Overeem is going to implement taking him down as much as he can and, and, and holding him down and just grounding pound or getting a submission. Um, I see that path for Overeem. I just don't think, you know, these days Overeem is as flexible and as much of a volume striker in the heavyweight division as he used to be. So I think Sakai might be a little bit, it'll just be hard, you know, old man bones for him to keep up a little bit. So yeah. I think uh, he'll have to be very far out, which he has been fighting like that, very uh, patient, not overexerting himself and, and, and being very cautious and setting up takedowns. I see him taking down Sakai um, and just out grappling him and mixing up uh, the mixed martial arts aspect. I know that was a, a lot of stuff to say. Anyways, Oscar Overeem, I'm going to say, is this five round? It's a main event, and I don't believe it's a last-minute replacement from the lower half of the card or anything, so it should be a five-round fight. Oh, poop. Uh, I'll s you know what? Uh, fourth round. No. Decision. If it's not, man, but if it's five rounds... This is a tough one. Uh, I know it. Just unanimous decision. I'll start over him. All right. Yeah. I, I'm struggling you know, with the with. Hard. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm struggling with the youth aspect and uh, Sakai's being like you were kind of alluding to him being very explosive and quick on his feet for a heavyweight. Like we got Tanner Bozer out here moving around like super fast. Like I just I'm worried because you said it earlier. His reaction time overreams in his chin. He's 40 years old. He's had 46 and 18 like a lot and that doesn't count as kickboxing record so um he's been in there uh, multiple years but he just seems to be one of those even in interviews he seems very coherent he doesn't seem to have taken a lot of uh, damage to the brain at least it doesn't seem as the that way from the outside um but yeah his uh his reaction time and his chin are the two things i'm always concerned about him with in the last few of his fights uh but to your point he's kind of a just kind of poked and prodded from the outside, been extra safe, and then closed the distance and utilized his grappling chops to strengthen his size. So if he can get a hold of Sakai and uh, keep him maybe up against the fence and grind him out that way, um, tire him out to the point where he eventually does secure that takedown, that top pressure, I feel like, depending on how it goes, if Sakai isn't in the best shape for this and Overeem's been to the is in the five-round club, he's been there multiple times, mm. um, he could easily get taken out earlier, uh, to your point, like, by the younger, fresher, more explosive, faster fighter has a lot of power in both hands. But I'm going to go with you on this one. I'm going to go with the veteran savvy. Gets it done. I'm going to go. Um, I, I'm struggling to go decision because I think, I mean, like the Rosenstruck fight or a couple other fights. I'm going gonna, gonna to change mine. I'm going to say fourth round TKO. Okay. Well, the only thing is Arlovsky fought um, Sakai, right? And mm -hmm. Sakai won that fight in a decision. Obviously, it wasn't a five-round fight, so that takes a lot of that out of it. But Arlovsky is similarly in his later part of his career, kind of just become stick and move, stay on the outside, utilize his footwork, and, and win the fight in a, in a safer fashion, not as uh, committed to striking as, as you were kind of talking about with Overeem earlier. So if, if Sakai can um, work with that and end up, I guess in this case, pointing out a decision, probably one of those split decisions, um, yeah, it definitely was one of those split decisions, then maybe he can kind of play that game with Overeem over the course of five rounds and not gas himself out. So I'm struggling with going with decision. I'm going to go with the decision as at this point. I might switch it later, but over and by unanimous decision in the main event. 
All right. All right. So that does it this week, guys. That's the uh, end of the card. Uh, make sure to check out the fights and make sure to obviously check, come back next week for um, us breaking down the results and recapping everything that happened. But thank you guys, everyone that's been purchasing more batches of the turmeric tea, the turmeric tonic. It does so many things with inflammation. The, the list is too long to, to give you all the benefits. But if you guys are interested or need to re-up or want to order a batch for the first time, just hit up my socials and I'll be happy to take care of you. And thank you, Nate, as always, for helping oh, you're welcome i appreciate it brother my co-pilot couldn't do it without you so i appreciate you all right well that about does it for us this week thank you guys so much for stopping by i really hope you enjoyed the show and if you did don't forget to go to apple and itunes and leave us a five-star rating and a positive review and while you're there don't forget to turn the notification bell on so you're on top of all the most current episodes and while you're supporting a small independent podcast please don't forget to check out and support the small local businesses that support the show just like you guys by listening every single week so make sure to check out monique over at strongwomendesigns.com my girlfriend Nora at dreamloudcollections.com Ricardo at Neighborhood Auto Care Caesar at OC Party Rentals Bill over at William Leach Chiropractic Services Mac Noodles Hibachi Chef Angie Snyder with Holistic Healing Services and last but not least of course MMT Fitness check him out on Instagram make sure to come down and check out the gym first class is always free exit Avery Parkway off the 5 freeway thank you guys so much for checking out the show today but that's it I am through don't forget to check out next week's episode but until then guys enjoy the fights